0: I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult.
1: Where two coverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious rite. Hi, Eve.
0: Hey, Kieran. How are you? Well, it is officially fall here, and I have complicated feelings about that. I always forget how much I enjoy fall because I just get consumed with dread about the darkness ahead. That's fair. It... We had a weird weather week
1: that destroyed me. So it was like summer, 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 summer. Then like yesterday, it was like 90 degrees or not yesterday. The day before yesterday, it was 90 degrees. And then yesterday, it was like 70. And so my body was like... (laughs)
0: <laughs> Kieran's making a suspicious face <laughs> <laughs> You expect me to function
1: And now it's like normal And we have like okay, we but have like, some green you and some autumn here, So stop
0: pretending to relate to seasons, okay? I lived in Maine I know seasons okay, But your life right now does not involve Yeah, my life right no now seasons. Well, my life right now is like
1: not even the state, no seasons. It is so confused. We have half of the leaves like orange and falling, and the other half are green and they're still pollen. It's like, it's a whole mess right now. <laughs> it's really confusing. Oh my God.
0: Well, um, enough chit chat about the weather. This is probably super boring. This is not what we're here to talk <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> um, we are joined by Meg Conley, and I am super excited to have her here. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm Meg Conley. Um, I'm a writer. I write a newsletter about home culture called Home Culture. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I had to let people know what they're in for, I guess. And I, my work kind of concentrates on um, like the spaces between what we've traditionally considered uh, women's work, economic justice, and the home. And so I'm just so happy to be here, like long-time listener.
1: First time, first time
0: caller. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. We're so excited to have you here. I really love your your writing, and you know, as someone who has spent a lot of time in the spaces that you are writing about and thinking about those spaces, I it's nice to see someone bringing such authority and researched c- condensed writing to the stuff that I've been like feeling for <laughs> the last twenty years. It's very nice. I
2: really, that is really lovely to hear. Thank you so much. I mean, like you use like authority. That is like not a word that I grew up like associating with women. And so uh, that was a powerful moment. And thank you very much.
3: (laughs) (laughs) uh,
0: So we, um, (laughs) obviously we're here to talk about LuLaRoe. Yes. Um, I mean, we have so many things we could talk about, but this is, this is the moment We've all watched the Lula Rich documentary that came out, and I saw people posting about it on Twitter and being like, oh my God, this is so much. And I was on a tiny mini vacation with Straight Friend. Those of you who know Twitter know Straight Friend. Um, And Straight Friend and I are both from the same (laughs) background, and we were like looking for distraction TV watching, and we Got through episode three and had to turn it off because we were both screaming at the TV. Oh my yeah. god!
1: Yeah, I to rewatch episode three because I was like, "Wait, what did I just
3: see?" You know,
1: my, what was
2: that? my husband. My wouldn't watch it with me, Riley. Um, he, I, you know, I sat. So I knew I was going to be doing this Q and A on Anne Helen Peterson's.
0: Newsletter culture study. And so Which I is
2: fantastic. Oh, it's amazing. Way. We will link
0: to it in the comments. Oh, no, no your your conversation in particular. Oh, well,
2: that's <laughs> very, very kind. And um, so I like had to watch it. I think I actually would have avoided it otherwise. Um mm-hmm. so the kids go to bed and like it's like usually when we'd be watching like um, you know, what we do in the shadows or something. And I'm like, sorry, Riley, like we, we have to watch Lulu Rich. And he was like, I I like cannot sit through that. Like, it's going to be so <laughs> triggering. It's going to be so painful. And I was like, okay, um, I respect you. I will see you tomorrow. And I watched all four episodes at once, and that was
0: a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, I, like, after episode three, when we turned it off and finished screaming, I was like, I cannot watch another episode until I have not been drinking because <laughs> – I, I need to take notes for a podcast yeah. because this is a podcast. Yeah. Unfortunately.
2: It, yeah. It, it could be um, many, many episodes, I think.
1: So, yeah. True. Yeah. As soon as I got to episode three, I was like, okay, this is, there's a lot to unpack here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> okay. So, for those who don't, know what we're talking about or haven't run into lula like this is a documentary about the mlm lula which sold really crappy tacky leggings and tunics and just general like white wine mom's suburban houseware. um that's a good way to put it
2: just yeah. funny because mormons don't even drink alcohol so they don't even have that can't even blame it on being like
0: Drunk. They like those yeah.
2: leggings sober.
0: So. Yeah. No, oh they, 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 they come by it honestly. But <laughs> but you know, the ones who are buying it, who were not like. Sure. They. <laughs> the circles I. So I, I ran into it coming up on my Facebook feed after I had been long out. And the like little. <clears throat> pieces of my former world, the members of the community I grew up in who stayed in that world or stayed adjacent to that world, and were doing the the stay-at-home mom thing or or somewhat close to that, maybe like had a part-time job or something, but they were inviting each other to LulaRoe parties and talking about the leggings on Facebook, and I just kind of ignored it because I thought they were ugly, but but it was just like watching it come up over and over again and being like oh look it's another norwex cuz that was the mm-hmm. last one that they were all in on um <laughs> the, like colloidal silver will fix everything in your house <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah so real wild to actually get to see the like background behind it and i had not realized that it was mormon um until i started watching the documentary so That leads us to the question that we were kind of chit-chatting about before we got started. What's your background in Mormonism?
2: Yeah, so I was was raised Mormon by, uh, you know, my parents were LDS and it was kind of like, um, I thought I had a traditional Mormon upbringing. Um, I was raised in Southern California. We went to church every Sunday but, you know, we'd go to church on Sunday where we got messages that were like, um, girls are supposed to grow up to become homemakers and boys are supposed to grow up to become breadwinners and girls should be getting education, but you know, uh, just in case, like that was always the, like, yeah. get, which is so funny because, um, I guess at 36, I'm not particularly young anymore, but I'm also not ancient. This was in the 90s. That was like a pretty like just in case was a pretty retrograde message for like a 15 year old to be getting in like whatever, you know, 2003, 2002. Look, I'm I'm younger than you and that was the message I got too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but the thing that was not traditional about my upbringing, which I didn't realize at the time was that um, I had the opposite messaging in my home. Like, my hmm. parents were um, very big on, grow up to, you know, be whatever you want to be. And, you know, women don't exist to serve their husbands. I mean, it was definitely like a traditional home and that it was, uh, you know, like a husband and a wife. And there was the assumption that, like, when I got married, I would get married to a man um, who would be within the LDS faith. But... Um, The rest of the messaging was different. uh, My home messaging and my church messaging ran into each other a lot. In fact, we would have um, like Sunday dinner, the conversation around dinner was um, unpacking the incorrect things we were taught at church. Because- (laughs) I love it. My parents Uh are great. Yeah, because I mean, so the thing about Mormonism is is it's all um, volunteer
0: clergy. And so mm. no one's paid. And so, oh, um, right. well, yeah, my, my dad's ba- dad's boss was a bishop. And and so you would have um, so people
2: volunteer and they're called. And they d- so um, your Sunday school teacher didn't ask to be a Sunday school teacher. They they were asked to become one. And so um, the feeling is, well, if we're going to have like a, this all volunteer uh like teaching staff and you know leadership, um, then sometimes they're going to get it wrong. Like these are not theologians; they didn't go to seminary.
0: Ah, oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, so there was a lot of room to uh, disagree with the things that you were taught at church, um, especially uh-huh. at, doctrinally. There's room, but then within my home, there was room. Now within church culture, is there room? I mean.
0: no um theoretically there's like they it's a it's like a fail safe yeah a leader who fucks up yeah so i was i but but my point being
2: my home culture didn't trump church culture i was only in church three hours a week but um when you uh are taught that there are certain frameworks that literally power your salvation, including a traditional composition of the nuclear family. (laughs) It's your parents can tell you, go to Sarah Lawrence and become a writer, which is what my parents told me. But Uh um, there's this primal fear that Mm -hmm. if you do those things, you won't find the boy that you're supposed to marry and make the family you're supposed to make so that you can like literally secure eternity. Right.
0: Right. You're going to educate yourself out of your, your, your trip to heaven.
2: Right. Who knows? Right. And so, um, so, uh, I was raised with these two competing uh worlds in my head, like a different kind of separate spheres, I guess. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I have known each other since we were 12. He's also was also raised LDS. And um, we uh, have been unorthodoxly in the church since we got married. Uh, I no longer am part of the institutional LDS church. I think that Mormon will always be a part of my identity.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I've taken uh, the things that move my soul from the tradition. And like, I get to keep those with me because they're inside of me. But um, I am no longer, um, mm, I think if you ask the traditional Latter-day Saint, if I was Mormon, they would say no.
3: We could just agree yeah, could to
0: disagree. Relatable. No. <laughs> just, yeah, There's this whole, there's a conversation I had with someone recently that was like, you know, like there's the culturally Jewish versus practicing Jew. Right. And I think that distinction is like, we're culturally Christian, even if we're not Christian. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, um, like I do still identify as Christian personally, but I, um, uh, Mormonism is this very, um, we've got a lot of stuff like Christians don't identify us as Christian. Right. And so, um, and so it, it, I do kind of feel like a, a woman without a country, a, a woman without mm. like a, a heaven sometimes because I don't fit anywhere anymore. Right. And I don't know, uh, if, if either of you have experienced this, but you know, It's difficult, too, because the people who have, and I think it's lovely, like they've left the institutional church and the identity, and they desperately want me to do the same. And because I mm, cannot denounce everything about the identity, like the Mormon molecules, right, that like make up Mm -hmm. pieces of myself, that's difficult for them. And so, you know, uh, there
0: are... We ran into this a lot yep. when we first left. It's yep, yep, yep. the, like the holdouts of fundamentalism of belief of any kind that carry over, re- you know, requires you to have those, make those same kinds of demands of people who leave as well.
2: Right. Like the concept of the binary um, still mm-hmm. attends some people. Like, are you in or are you out? Um, mm-hmm. So it's two groups of people asking the same question and hoping for different answers, right? Yeah, and I'm like, yep. I it's just not. A, I don't recognize that question. So.
1: <laughs> I will not entertain <laughs> that. Thank um, you. Uh,
3: you know, I do not
2: I, recognize
0: the premise of the question. <laughs> no, or, when
2: I, or when I do, I ramble on like I just did for 10 minutes about it because this is not an easy answer. No, it's not. And that's so, okay. And yeah. that's
0: like, you know, what I, I mean, I've talked about this before. I still have feelings about church and base sometimes and you know like once a year i'll go go to a service and have lots of feelings about it and then be like all right i'm good (laughs) and so like you know just like it's you never quite you never quite leave behind something that you you grew up in and loved very deeply even if it was harmful
2: right right and um and i also got into the place where i can um see the parts that um Feel like they cast rainbows instead of shadows, right? Like I, uh, but mm-hmm. that it was very painful to get to that place, and I don't think that that's a place that everybody needs to get to, because for some yeah. people it has been all, all shadow.
0: So do you know what that I mean? On anyone,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so uh, Lula Row was started by Mormons, Mormons that I knew growing up, which was like very.
3: Yeah. Very triggering.
2: I like broke out in hives like within the first <laughs> within the first <laughs> episode. Yeah. So so ask away any question. Okay. You have. Yeah, so it,
0: how how I think really most of my questions boil down to like how important is Mormonism to this story? Yeah. Um. It's a
2: really really great question. So I think it's really important actually. Something that I didn't realize growing up as a Mormon was how little I knew about um, like Evangelical America. In fact, the only uh, I had one Evangelical friend. um, I grew up in Orange County, where just not very many people attended church generally. Mm -hmm. And I was in high school so excited when I when I met someone who did go to church because it felt like oh, oh, (laughs) like you like um. Understand me, maybe, because I felt like right. uh, most of my peers did not, and and she attended an evangelical congregation. And when she found out I was Mormon, she was like uh, very upset and explained that <laughs> if I didn't start attending church with her, I would go to hell. Like I had to be. <laughs> oh,
1: well, yeah.
2: Mormons are out there converting. Uh, uh, her uh, conversion lines were like a little bit uh, starker than like what you traditionally get when like a Mormon's trying to get you to join. The yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. But it's fine. I saw. It. I saw she it was with she loved me and didn't want me to go to hell and I can appreciate and that so <laughs> that got communicated yep. yep yeah that's fine but um but so I didn't know much about um evangelicals until actually just had the um interview with oh Jesus and John Wayne um Kristen, Kristen. Kristen yeah uh that book was uh, has been a piece of my like education journey as I've tried to understand the evangelical religion and America. And something I have been struck with is that Mormonism's very, very different, uh, but it's moving. It's, uh, it has been very different, but it's kind of starting to fuse with, um, evangelical America. And I think that you kind of see that in like the MLM story a little bit in that, like, um, mm. Road is appealing. Like this is a product and, uh, a business method that appeals to Mormon women and um, evangelical women, because it's kind of got, I think that they're constrained by the same tropes. Right. Yeah. At this point, the things that are maybe a little bit different about, or a lot different about Mormonism is, um, so the reason the nuclear family is so important to Mormons is that at least currently that is our model of salvation. Like God is not just a man. God is also a woman. In Mormonism, and so um, you have like God is two separate individuals. You have a heavenly mother and a heavenly father, hmm. which is cool and complicated. When you use the heavenly mother and the heavenly father to reinforce traditional marriage and um, the nuclear family, and so uh, Lula Rowe says, um, and you know it, it kind of started. It's started by Mormons and then had its initial big push on its billion dollar journey, like um, amongst Mormons. (laughs) LuLaRoe is saying to these women, I see that you're creating, you're modeling heaven in your homes, like literally, because like the heavenly mother, right? We don't hear about her much as Mormons. We just know that she exists. There's not a lot of like revealed, um, what we would call revealed doctrine about her because Mormons have ongoing revelation. And despite the ongoing revelation, we don't know anything about her, but we hear a lot about the male God, right? Like Heavenly Father. That is so one way to look at this is Heavenly Mother's in the suburbs, and um, she's like cooking dinner, and we're all gonna get home after we're done like, with our work in the world, right? We're gonna commute home to heaven. And, the, um, and, the, and Heavenly Father is um, in the world doing his work, you know, helping his children return home. To where he and heavenly mother will like you know whatever greet us at the table right, right. and so the, so so these women are um, they're modeling heaven in their homes which feels empowering um, until you start doing it right I
3: mm-hmm.
2: I uh, got married when I was 21 so you know this boy had been best friend hey. Hey! <laughs> this boy <had> been- <laughs> we've been best friends since we were 12. Uh And, you know, we, um, we were going to model heaven, right? Like he was going to be the breadwinner and I was going to stay home with the kids. And, um, we only got a couple years into that. You know, I had my first baby at 24, um, after dropping out of college to be a mom, to be a homemaker. And you kind of look around your home and you're like, wait, (laughs) wait, is homemaking making beds? Like, is that what I'm doing for the rest of my life? And, you know, we don't have in America, a way for caretakers to form community with other, un- you know, people performing unpaid mm-hmm. labor. I'm a big like wages mm-hmm. for housework person. And so we don't have a good way to move in and out of the home sphere into the market sphere. So um these So these women,
0: well, I have just like a total sidebar, but like one of the things that I have learned about like reinforcing the nuclear family as being single generational is a way to split up unionizing efforts in factory towns, so that you could divide the family units up from each other more easily, and so that is
3: that's that reinforced the isolating the
0: women in the home. That's, I don't have a ton of data on that, but like th- I I run into it a couple times in comments by historians, and I'm like, I need I need a book yeah, on this. Somewhere, that's please. really interesting. Yeah, and
2: so um, so when they're disillusioned or discontent or isolated by what both like the religion and frankly America has said, homemaking is. Because America also tells us that homemaking is making beds, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When really homemaking could be mutual aid and social justice, right? Which is all unpaid labor still. If like we mm-hmm. really need to not pay people to like be homemakers, like we're really committed to that. So then there's kind of like, because there's no longer in Mormonism a tradition of... Um, mutual aid or communal living there's not a way to create community that way that provides like a nice open door for things like mlms
3: Mm -hmm.
2: because because like these women if they want to um if they if they do feel passionate about being there if not full-time then a majority of the time to caretake for their children which i think is lovely and fine because i'm not a capitalist um then then they don't really have any recourse, right? Like when my husband and I lived in Oakland, he worked in tech and um, I was a writer uh, who no one was reading. So I was like, well, maybe I could go work at a bookstore. Like I would love to go work at a bookstore. Mm-hmm. That made me so happy, but we had two kids. And even if I worked full time at a bookstore, I could not, we could not figure out together how to pay for childcare.
0: Without going into debt. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Well, and, and so an MLM is like a way to bring in some extra money to help and a way to like socialize with other moms. So you have like the shared childcare. And right. you're like having the little parties. Right. Like everybody's there. The kids are welcome. Like it's safe. It feels easy. It's
2: Yeah. Well, and it also like weirdly, uh, perversely harkens back to like kind of a cool part of like uh early Mormonism, which is like early Mormonism was about Busting up the nuclear family, which is why it's so hilarious that in the 40s we were like, actually, like early Mormonism, <laughs> yeah. early Mormonism um, was polygamy and communal salvation and utopia and community living. There was a lot of uh, ugly, racist, misogynistic stuff layered in there, like a trifle you wouldn't want to eat. But there was, um, it was completely different than how it looks now. I do think that uh, when Mormon women. Join MLMs in the way that they do, linking to other women, feeling like the upline downline situation benefits other women. I think it kindly, kind of oddly, harkens back to that early yeah. community aspect in mm-hmm. like a really. I, it makes it easier thing. to like
0: look at it with less criticism, right? Less, to like we believe, be less critical of the yeah, model. We
2: believe in community, like even still, despite uh, how far we've come from. of the cool things that mormons used to practice and believe we still doctrinally believe in communal salvation like uh mormons believe that every heaven cannot exist unless everyone is there which is super cool like we don't even believe hell's not a concept in mormonism like we actively do not believe in hell it does not exist okay well uh so they're building like an economic heaven but it's shaped like a pyramid and like obviously (laughs) heaven's not going to be shaped like a pyramid. Right. But I can see, I can, I can see where the narrative takes shape. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. In a way that is uh, sad to me because we haven't either in uh, both in the Mormon church and in American culture figured out a way to make, uh, to help caretakers find community when I told um, a therapist in Oakland how isolated I felt, she was like, well, why don't you get a job? And I was like, well, no, I mean. That's no. not
1: the point. Well, I
2: mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> work is not where I make friends. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to. I just, you know, I couldn't afford. Ch- I was like, well, let's pass universal child care and then I can't.
0: Yeah. yeah. In addition, in addition also. Right.
2: The other problem though, is like, um, that's a, that is simply a different type of pyramid that we're building. Right. Like that is still Mm -hmm. salvation by consumerism, which is exactly what Lula Rich was offering. Right. So, um, I guess we could just tear the, you know, the church, capitalism, whatever else apart. Like,
0: if you guys just want to get started on all that with me, that would be great. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, okay. Guess the the next question is like, so we grew up, not. I, I feel like it's much more com- prevalent in the Black evangelical communities, but it, it definitely was present in the the you know predominantly white circles that we were raised in, where you run into the prosperity gospel teachings. Yeah, and so I we were curious if there's if there is some sort of overlap between the, the way that prosperity gospel is, is presented, um, with how maybe they were looking at, you know, their get rich quick methods in Rowe. Yeah. It's
2: interesting because, um, again, like, uh, we've gone from this, uh, the church's founding was like, you consecrate, you consecrate everything, all worldly goods, um, to the church and to God. And, um, there should be no wealth, right? I mean, it was, um, there's a lot of debates like was this socialism or was this communism? Yeah, I mean like, and a lot, a lot of people, a lot, um, a lot of, uh, and I've heard good arguments both ways, but it was one or the other, you know, it was not capitalism. It was the right. exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, as Americans tried to, uh, I mean, as Mormons tried to assimilate into America uh, something that started in the twenties, but really, really picked up in earnest after world war II, they adopted uh not just the concept of the nuclear family, but, like, uh, they became, like, the foremost defenders of traditional marriage, which is still mm. a thing that is happening, which is, uh, was one of the final straws for me as a bisexual woman with um, uh, queer children. Like, obviously, none of that was going to work for us. Bisexual disability. Yay! We can so, all see each <laughs> other. And so, um, uh, and so, another thing... That took longer for um, Mormons to pick up, but that they have been gathering in earnest since the late 70s was the prosperity gospel. And so it's interesting because you still have top leadership, the the men who lead the church, preaching against the prosperity gospel with some regularity in large forums. Uh, We have this thing called general conference that happens twice a year. Mm -hmm. And there have been pointed talks against the prosperity gospel there. But when you get to a local level, it's it's pretty prevalent, and uh, it is not unusual to hear, um, you know, when somebody is sharing a story about how God has blessed them. Often, the ble- often the blessing is financial, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. but because like most Mormons have never even heard the term prosperity gospel, and we do not have high-profile preachers or reverend saying, you know. If you mail me fifty dollars, then you'll get more. You know, it's not right, as right. obvious. That's it's, yeah. It doesn't the exist.
0: Version of it that the version of it that I ran into the most was kind of the like, oh, I'm so blessed, and it's actually just privilege, and you're not examining it. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm.
2: Because um, and that is that is that is um, I think the most nefarious form of prosperity gospel because it does two things: it makes it difficult for for you to recognize it in yourself and others but it also means that you think that the people who are not as privileged as you are, God is not looking down on the same way, like is not watching over the same mm-hmm. way. And um mm-hmm. and and if that's really what you think, even if you're not articulating it that way, but if that's like the water you're swimming in, then you are going to be less likely to be interested in the work of racial justice and social justice yep. and um you know, protecting yep. the vulnerable because uh, you'll think everybody's getting what they deserve. But uh, you know, obviously I God's grace is infinite and we will all get what we deserve but what we deserve is everything and so um and mm. and, and everything is not material I mean thank god right or else um uh, it wouldn't be much so That's so
0: fascinating yeah. okay so another thing we were wondering is is there a an angle to this story that involves homeschooling oh, yeah because yeah. that's just one of the things that like we always look for. And I feel like, you know, if these are homeschool moms, that's like an extra incentive, you know, to, to be doing this. Cause like, look, the kids are participating. They're learning
1: economics. economics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. So that's, um, there
2: are homeschooling Mormons for sure. It is far less prevalent within this religion than okay. it is in others. I would say that. The, the homeschooling, mo- the homeschooling Mormon moms that I knew, often but not always, were involved in some sort of MLM. But most Mormon moms, including the ones who are involved in MLMs, are not homeschoolers. Mormons like public institutions historically, especially once we like started assimilating. Mormons that has. There has been a shift away from that in the past 10 years in Mormondom, uh, paranoia about the government and um, uh, Trumpism, and that is all new. There were always strains okay. of that, absolutely, like like veins of it, like you could mine for it and then like make horrifying things out of that. But like um, it wasn't all encompassing. I actually think we're going to see more Mormon homeschoolers in the future because of uh, cultural shifts that are happening. Uh, within the church, which, you know, for, I like homeschooling. I don't have a problem with homeschooling, but I think that their reasons will be no, different. You think
0: homeschooling can yeah. be great. Yeah, no, totally. And,
2: um, but I think that they're, uh, instead of homeschooling, cause it's, you know, uh, they have neurodivergent kids or, you know, like the reasons that I think are great. Yeah. I think uh, we'll see more Mormons pulling their kids out of public schools because of, um, paranoia and, uh, anti-CRT sentiment and, um, Things that really yeah. depress me. So, yeah. but not all
3: of them. I mean, yes.
2: yeah, I, I have to say, there are so many Mormons fighting the good fight, and I love them. And I see you. If you're listening to this, I see you. But there, there is unfortunately a, a shift happening within the, or a shift uh, maybe has been happening and seems like it's concluding and landing in a new spot uh, within the religion.
1: I want to like kind of go yeah. back real quick because you've referenced like the nuclear family as being like how you get saved. Can you yeah. expand on that just a little bit? Because that was totally. something growing up, I was like, I don't understand how that works. What is
2: yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So, yeah. when it's, when, um, at the start of the, uh, the Mormon church, one of the concepts is that, um, it's not heaven unless we're all like making it together. Not just making it to heaven, but like literally, we are in charge of helping to create heaven. We need to uh, create uh, on Earth the kind of place that like Christ could return to—a place of—they wouldn't have used the words equity, but like a place.
0: Can I can I ask you a quick question here? Does this have any overlap with like the re- Christian Reconstructionists who are like we have to get things? to a biblical community like law of the land matches biblical traditions so that Christ can return and he won't until things are in that place. No, you know, I know what you're
2: referencing. This is more like that always felt kind of apocalyptic to me. This
0: is more like, um, it's yeah. very apocalyptic. This is more like <laughs> That's why I want to draw the distinction. Cause I am like, this is, sounds different. This much closer I want to make to, sure like, transhumanism that's clear. Then it is to, um,
2: okay. where it's like, um, we are, creating an environment in which like we can literally like be sanctified because our environment has become better and better and better like it's um progress <laughs> it's progressive right. it's, just, it's utopia you, totally. yeah, progress or utopia. So, the way that they were linked okay. was ceilings in the temple that's what happens in the temple is there is a um a uh ceremony that's like very simple and um not salacious despite what people does say because you know you can't go in the temple unless you're Mormon, but you're sealed there and it's just like this official ceremony that means like what has happened on earth has also happened in heaven so when ceilings um and they were sealed to each other and the best way i can describe it is they were making like a human chain of salvation and it was like brother to sister and friend to friend and it did not depend upon the nuclear family polygamous families were sealed but you didn't have to be in a family with someone to be sealed that shifted over the next century to become you get sealed only to your spouse,
0: to oh, your like other.
2: So it shifted from like this big human chain to with there where each single person was a link in the chain to still a big chain, but each nuclear family is a link in the chain. And you really saw that emphasis shift again when Mormons tried to assimilate. Well, we have assimilated for better and worse. Yeah, yeah. So, you also know, more of a 20, triangle and less than a line, a lateral right? line. Right, and so, so the nuclear family becomes like a single link. And the reason that that matters is because in eternity, like, we believe that families, Mormons believe that families are still sealed to each other. But like the family you have now, the people you're sealed to now, you'll be sealed
0: to then, and um, you'll keep okay. progressing. So let me, like, let me like contrast this with another yes. theological concept in the... You know, conservative fundamentalist community. Both, both the Christian Reconstructionism and this are are pretty prevalent in the Cal- Sorry, Calvinist. I almost said Catholic. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> in the Calvinist traditions. Um, but like, so perseverance of the saints is the P and Tulip, which is the Calvinist, you know, acronym for for the basic doctrinal statements, and it. it, it Basically is like once saved, always saved. Okay. So you could, so like for me, if I was like one of the elect, I could have done everything I have done in my life. And at some point it will be guaranteed that I will come back to the faith. And Interesting. Repent okay. And be part of the church community again, no matter what I've done because of like God's irresistible grace will like draw me back. And if I'm chosen, I will always okay. come back. Yeah. Um- How does that compare to like the sealing once, once you're sealed in the nuclear family?
2: Mormon theology is messy because our doctrine, like doctrinally, it's supposed to evolve because there's always continuing revelation. So depending on the point of Mormonism you're at, there are different answers to that question. I would say um, it has um, oscillated between being sealed means that like you are getting to God no matter what, like, um, because of God's grace and because of, and because of the, the grace of the people that you're sealed to not like Jesus's atonement grace, but like by their, um, the power of the ceiling, like, um, you can't, you are, um, you can never be unfettered from that. Other times it's been understood as you need to maintain the ceiling. Through good works, through, like, staying within the religion. And, you know, uh, it's a conversation. I think if you asked any Mormon today, you would get a different
3: answer.
0: There's not. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if you ask any evangelical, you get a different answer yeah. from on this. Because this is a very, like, uh, heatedly disagreed upon right. theological concept. And it's not universal. Like, the Baptists are like, absolutely not work, you know, faith without works is dead. What's right, the yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and it's funny because like, you see like, again, like Mormons, like kind of, um, there's like a pendulum always swinging. And so when I was a kid, I felt like I heard a lot more about works. And then as I moved into my twenties, I felt like I heard a lot more about grace. Hmm. Ultimately Mormons believe in like they're universalists. Like everybody is being saved. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes like the degree of saving is slightly different, but like, but ultimately yeah, you know, saying, I appreciate the clarification oh, because, different. like, I mean, yeah.
1: Well, the other thing that yeah. I want to, like, kind of clarify is like, Mormons having families is not the same thing as, like, being quiverful. Like, they're two no. separate ideas.
2: It is actually. Ideas. When I didn't even know what, like, quiverful was until, um, remember when they first started, like, news, like, 2015, 2016, I felt like you were hearing about it a lot. Yeah. I, was there a reality show or something? Yep. And I started reading about it and I was like, oh, sh-.
0: I think that's when uh, Josh Duggar got arrested. Maybe. The first time. Yeah.
2: I'm, well, and I was at that point in my journey where I had been living in Oakland for a minute. I was um, becoming more expansive <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, there are people way less progressive than us. And I had no idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, had, I didn't know that was a concept, but like Mormons, like for example, are, uh, while we traditionally have larger families than maybe the uh, American average, uh, like very pro-birth control. Like it's like this kind of weird middle ground where it's like the purpose, your purpose is to be a mother, it's, but you don't have it, to have too many.
1: <laughs> okay. You can have a manageable
2: amount. But sometimes people do, right? I mean, so it doesn't. Yeah. But, um, there's Again, like there's a lot of conflicting. Mormonism is having an identity crisis right now because, the things that are within the uh, canon are so contradictory. And, um, you know, you have this heritage of um, communal salvation now warring with um, uh, the prosperity gospel as driven by capitalism. And I, I don't actually understand what's going to happen next because those two things, can't live together uh the thing maybe binding it all unfortunately is since the beginning of mormonism there has been um a really horrifying strain of white supremacy and misogyny and and so um Mm -hmm. as there is in like i especially the misogyny in most patriarchal religions and the white supremacy thing is uniquely it's a uniquely american uh version of that in mormonism and so um So those two threads can keep running through, (laughs) unfortunately, the communal, uh, the Mormon concept of communal salvation and this new iteration of Mormon consumer uh, salvation. And so I don't, maybe those, uh, those evil threads will, um, will keep the the fabric of the church uh, together. But, but, but it does seem like it's tearing at the seams to me.
0: Yeah, it, it can't really sustain itself. Well, and, and I think with again. the MLM
2: thing, you're also seeing that you see these women who
0: mm-hmm. they want
2: to enter, uh, the market sphere, but they're having to do it under the cover of the home sphere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I know I drive this home all the time, but like, that is not just like a church problem. That is like an American problem and they're not getting. Okay. okay so you, for
0: people who are not super familiar with your writing, can you unpack?
2: That sure. Away? So, uh, you know, I think that like, if I were to stand up and like, like Harvard Business School, if they invited, like in, you know, um, me, someone without a degree who's like never done anything, right, to come speak to Harvard Business School, and I was talking about like female empowerment, and I said, you know, the, sep- the separate spheres are a myth. It's like oh, standing ovation, blah blah blah. But they would also um, teach practices at that school, and then go on to like whatever found tech uh, tech companies that like reinforce the two spheres. It's just that their message is there are two spheres. There's the market sphere and the home sphere. And the home sphere sucks. Get out of it. No one should be in the home sphere. Everybody should be in the market sphere. But they don't really mean no one should be in the home sphere because like someone has to do the caretaking and someone yeah. the home sphere has to serve the yeah, market Yeah, well sphere. well and the, the, the market sphere like should serve the home sphere, right? But like the way it is composed right now. And so, uh, instead of saying like, this is also labor and this is also, this, uh, coexists with the market sphere, it shouldn't be, um, subordinate to it. They say that to be empowered is to leave it. And then they, um, pay nannies under the table to go into it and like, yep. sure, and don't give them benefits and don't. And so I think that that's like that, that's white feminism. Right. But, um, I, yeah. uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm doing all this work on like the myth of the separate spheres right now. And I kind of went into it wanting to unpack my religious tradition, but I'm having to unpack the American capitalist tradition even more so because they're reinforcing it even more than the churches. No one goes to church anymore, right? Like
0: it's very no, the structure right. of like the geography of the suburbs right. and how they're designed right. and the structures of... The like salaries yeah. and the eight-hour workday—they're all designed around someone being well. At home. And
2: a um, it's very common. So um, my husband's in tech, and I love his company. I guess I just have to say that because I shit talk tech so much. <laughs> but um, and I love lots of tech companies. But as a whole, I think it's a really toxic culture. So it's very common in tech for IVF to be included as a benefit, which I think is amazing. And they will like pay to have like your eggs frozen, like all that jazz, right? But as soon as you get pregnant- But it's so that you will stay- The women will stay in the
0: workforce longer than their investment in you is- Right, and then though,
2: once the baby comes, there is- nothing like there's no there's no um child care benefit there's no like even the huge campuses like google and amazon Uh, so they
0: will pay to they
2: will pay you to put it off and they'll they'll even pay pay you to to start they'll help you start the family right like they will get you through pregnancy some of them will get you through maternity leave and then you're on your own and you're still expected to, you know, work these insane hours and you're still expected to make the commute you know, they don't figure out how to help you pay for childcare. Like, and so, and so that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, in Oakland, my husband worked in tech and I did not. The only way we could have afforded childcare is if I had gotten a tech job because those were the only jobs that paid enough
3: to like mm-hmm. make the cost
2: of living make sense there mm-hmm. so they're not only harming their tech workers right like they're not only keeping the two spheres separate for them they're also doing it to their partners but then also the people in the greater community where they don't have a partner or neither partners in tech they're not earning the kind of money you need for housing for childcare, and uh and so the two spheres like even though they are these false lands, we're having to live in them. And capitalism is driving that um, as much or more than uh, the religious traditions that um, reinforced it for so long. Mm-hmm. And capitalism and the religious traditions are very intertwined, right? Like, no
0: yeah.
3: question.
2: Yes, no absolutely.
0: Question. Well, and, and so what your, your your larger argument, as you've talked about this documentary in other spaces, has been like, the MLM is meeting a need that is a real need because of these systems. And it's at least least like promising to these people happen to like have an avenue in to to take advantage of it because of the religious Yeah,
2: totally. Because it's like if you are a primary caregiver who is also religious, then your network is going to be other primary caregivers in your congregation or your greater religious community. Um, because you do not have a social safety net when you have a desperate need, like when someone's sick, when you have hurt yourself, like those are the people, those are the women you turn to, right? Like they're your network for everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have a community for anything else. So it makes some sense for your, economic opportunities to come from them too. So I think that people don't feel uh, as skeptical as they should when like a woman from church comes to like pitch them an MLM. But- It feels like mutual aid. Even totally, it's not. that's exactly right. And the reason it feels like mutu- mutual aid is because um, in America, we don't know what mutual aid is, right? Like yeah. we think everything needs to yep. be tied up with um money making for it to be legitimate i mean i saw on twitter um right somebody shared this like i guess Suze orman said like uh your what was it but like uh, your money is like a financial manifestation of who you are or something like that and that was like shared on twitter a couple days ago and everybody's like oh this is ridiculous uh. nobody thinks <laughs> that way and i was like,
3: uh, yeah. like
2: yeah. i now. guess it's like how you how much you make and how you manage it i think it's probably what she was saying." So everybody on Twitter was ripping her apart, and I obviously what she's saying is horrible. But what do we think we're asking people when the first time we meet them, we say, What do you do?
1: We do for Yeah, yeah what do I you mean, do?
2: And so mm-hmm. everything is about money. And so then when moms make everything about money, suddenly they're idiots.
0: No, it makes sense. Like yeah. when I was in when I was in Kyrgyzstan, like the locals would make fun of Americans for doing that. Because the questions that they ask are, where are you from? Who are your parents? How old are you? Mm -hmm. Do you have a family? But
2: we ask, and what do you do? Like when I would be in heavily tech spaces and I was asked that question because I was there like with my partner, (laughs) when I answered honestly what I was doing at that point, which wasn't writing very much because I didn't have childcare, like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You know, and then I'd be like, it's not really a term I like, but I mean, I do stay home. You know, I'm raising my kids full-time. I'm a primary caretaker. It didn't really right. matter whether I said primary caretaker stay-at-home mom. I tried all the different, like, versions of that. Mm-hmm. The response was always kind of like this delay. Like, the, like the, whole, the joke in my community was
0: domestic was like, engineer. I, well, you're,
2: you're looking for other words, be- but no matter what you say, they would kind of be right. like, oh, okay. Um. Anyways, nice to meet you. And I'm like, oh. They don't have anything to say to you because they don't have like, you have anything I just to say about Republic, anything. If you want to talk about that, you know, I mean, but we don't ask about ideas. We don't ask about like public, right. uh, communities, you know, the service we're doing in the community. And so, yeah, I do think that, um, it is really sad and hard that these women, uh, victimize each other and are victims of each other. But, um, to pretend that that, only happening there is um i america
0: is a pyramid
3: (laughs) and um (laughs) yes
0: yeah so i guess that leads us to the like the last question i wanted to ask you and i I think you've already answered it sort of is what do you wish the documentary had spent more time on yeah i mean i don't
2: think hmm, i want to say this in a way that is like i don't know what like intentions were in making the documentary and um Maybe they did just want to tell the story of Lula Rich, which um, I still think they missed a lot. But I guess maybe that's like the story beats of Lula Rich were there. What I think would have been a more interesting story and like an eight part series, at least instead of four, is um, when we talk about um, unpaid labor in America, Why do we only talk about suburban white women when unpaid labor in America is overwhelmingly done by uh, black women and Latinx women? And when we talk about people who are um, conned into pyramids, one, why didn't they get into all the MLMs that prey on um, communities of color and then the MLMs that prey on um, immigrant communities? Like these women were victimized, but these are not uh, the victims being hurt the most for the most part. So, you know, why was it so white centered? And then um, when are we as a society, as white women and white feminists, uh, you know, lean and white feminists, which I guess I'm not, that's not my we, but I am a white woman. Uh, when are we uh, going to be willing to acknowledge that um, our empowerment or the empowerment we seek has been built on top of so so many other women. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. I was uh, unsettled to see that in 2021 people who I think are aware of the world could tell this story um, without even glancing at those things. That was discouraging. But I think the consumers of Lula Rich, um, like the viewers have been addressing that in really interesting ways. And so so if, if Lula Rich was just supposed to start a conversation, then it succeeded. And that's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think like we're in this moment where people are talking about what does supply chain mean? Right, like they what do. What is that, that a euphemism yeah. for? It's like who are, the, who are the bodies that are that, right. yeah, that supply right. chain. And I just want to like, Add a footnote here for anyone who's interested in kind of reading similar critiques of that kind of white feminism. This bridge called My Back is a really fantastic little anthology of writings of radical women of color talking about this issue in particular. It's excellent. Sorry, that was just me <laughs> being oh, a Keep going.
2: <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I feel like we could talk about this for hours,
0: but um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> This yeah. is a, this is a good intro. I really appreciated you unpacking the theology behind some of the assumptions there because there's a lot of similarities, but it's just not quite the same. And I really wanted to understand. What yeah, was.
2: Um, yeah, it's 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 different and the same.
3: <laughs> yeah. So
2: <laughs>
1: that was really helpful and informative.
2: Good. Well, I'm glad. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you so much for yeah, joining thank us. Thank you for having me.
0: So where can we find you? Those who haven't read your stuff before, where can yeah, we go stalk so, you? Yeah, um, <sighs> so nice way.
2: I was raised to be in the home. Um, and even, even though I don't really believe in that framework anymore, my work, uh, I'll never leave the home, I guess. My work is still centered in it. I'll be like unpacking boxes in the home forever now. And so um, <laughs> you can read uh, mm-hmm. about that at medconley.com. And, um, and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at underscore medconley. So
3: yeah.
0: Cool. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Always the most awkward part. And we'll link to your conversation with Anne Helen Peterson um on her, her substance study culture as well. Yeah. Okay. It was in the show notes.
1: Really, it was a really good read. I was oh. I I was playing Minecraft when Eve sent it to me and I was like reading it on my phone thinking it was something I could skim. It was not skimmable and I <laughs> I <died> in Minecraft <laughs> You're in. reading
3: Don't this. you know, when <laughs> I know. Well, you know it's, um
2: <laughs> you can, you can listen it. to it now too, because I think Curio, the app, uh, did a podcast version of it. Oh, awesome. And so, so, the, oh, nice. uh, so, yeah, maybe if you link to that too, if they have that app, that might be easier for them. So Totally. Yeah. Cool.
0: Wonderful.
1: Thank, well, thank you, you, so, you much. so much. I
2: have to go pick up my kids now. Yeah. So, in true primary caretaker yeah, we'll fashion. Let you go.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thank you so do, much right? for being here.
1: You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cold podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the Bend the Heavens on their album Nazo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.